All right, well, we've been talking the last several weeks about, I mean, generally about the um, the apostasy, which, again, just to kind of familiarize us a little more with that word, um, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, that just means a falling away. And I think that what we've been talking about is that if Christianity loses Christ, not as a concept or as a doctrine, but as the actual empowering life and nature and light of, of what Christianity is, then it's lost everything. And in and, and losing everything... Um, it continues, it can continue to exist as a religion. It can continue to exist as a, uh, you know, as a set of beliefs or practices or ceremonies or places you go or things you do or morals you have. And all of that can continue on uh, without having it be the actual thing that God established through Christ in and through his son. And so because of that, there, because of that possibility, and there's always been that possibility, it's always, it's always, it's, it's possible in each one of us. It's not, it's not something that's related to time. Um, it's not like it's more possible now than it was a hundred years ago or a thousand years ago. It's, it's, it's possible at all times because it's always possible in our hearts. And there's so many warnings in scripture about falling away from, well, having a form of godliness, like it says, Peter, but Paul says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. There's a power of godliness and there's a form of godliness. There's an outward form. You can have the outward form and not have the inward power. And Anyway, all of these, all of these things that we've been talking about the last several weeks have been in, in an attempt to basically just describe what a... What, what most people feel to be true uh, about much of Christianity in the world, but don't necessarily have words to describe why it's true. I mean, they see that in so many ways, the church is just like the world. And, and what's the wrongness of it? What's the nature of the problem? I, I would say that the nature of the problem is that we have kept the form and we have not, in general known the power. Um, we've kept the outward beliefs, we've kept a knowledge of Jesus, a, a belief in Jesus, but we don't know the life and light and power of Jesus living and reigning in our hearts. And, and, and one of the ways that, I think last time we talked about faith and how faith, there, there's a kind of a, a faith uh, that man knows that isn't it isn't the what Scripture calls the faith of the Son of God. It's not something that comes from God, um, and it's something that comes from below. And that's we've mentioned that there's a wisdom that comes from above, and a wisdom that comes from below. And we've talked about a worship that comes from below, and a worship that comes from above and works in us by the Spirit of God, worshiping God in spirit and truth, and. We could just go, I mean, we could spend the whole year just going through all the different ways and the word. I don't plan on doing that, but that man has kind of created, in the, in the absence of knowing the life and the power of these things, man 
continues to hold on to the word and continues to value the word and continues even to study the word and write books about the word and teach sermons about the word. Um, but we don't know the, the reality. And, and today I thought maybe I'd just say a few things about love. Um, love. Every, everybody, everybody that reads the Bible, every, everyone that's a Christian um, and has any familiarity with, with what Jesus said or what, what God said in Scripture knows that love is set forth by God, by the prophets, by the law, by Jesus, by the apostles, as being the thing to aim at, the 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 thing that we're supposed to have, uh, grow in, experience, have reigning in us. Uh, Jesus says on a few different occasions, talking to different people, that the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. It's uh, extremely plain how he describes that goal. He, he also says that it is the sum of all that's found in the Law and the Prophets, right? Paul says, in, uh, I think it's First Timothy 1.5, um, that the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart. First John, the entire book of First John is is just full of the the reality that love is what everything is aiming at. How do you know you've passed from death to life? Because love, the love of your brethren is living in you. Everyone knows First Corinthians 13. Most people had it read at their wedding. You can uh, know all mysteries. You can have faith to move mountains. You, you can give your body to be burned and still not have what Paul is calling love. And, and therefore, you can still be nothing, he says, nothing. There's there's so many um, scriptures about that. And, and scriptures, I think, are very familiar in general with those scriptures. But the question that I always... I always ask myself and I always, I always try to bring to the Lord and the question that I, I always want to bring to whenever I'm sharing about anything, honestly, I want to bring to people the question, do you really know love? Is it your experience? Have you grown in it? Has it become something that you, you find and feel to be in you, the, the goal or the end or the aim of everything that your Christianity is pointing to and pointing towards? Again, the scriptures are, are replete with statements that don't leave any uh, doubt about this subject. And, and, and so I think it's wise to ask ourselves these kinds of questions. Do we really, I, last week I think I said, do we really know faith? Are we walking in the faith that was once delivered to the saints, the living faith that comes from God? Well, today, are we walking in love? Do we really know Love is that something that our hearts, like a like a chest, are being filled with, with the treasures of heavenly, eternal love. It's 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 always um, just to, I guess let you in my head a little bit. I think about these kinds of things a whole lot. People people are so careful. You look around today. People are so careful to prepare for things that they care about. You know, like. You know, if you're if you're gonna go on a vacation, you gotta 
do your research about where you're going to stay and where the best prices are and what the best equipment is you might need or whatever. And everyone's got, everyone's getting ready. You know, if, if you're, if you're going to take a test to be something in, in a job, you got, you got to start studying. You got to find that. How do you do it? You got to get ready, you know, for the, for the test. If you're going to, you know, people thinking about the retirements, even when they're 25 years old, they're getting ready for their retirement. They're getting their 401k in line or whatever. They're planning what they're even going to do in their retirement. Everybody kind of lives like that. It's amazing that so many people can live constantly getting ready for things, preparing for things, and yet not even thinking about the fact that we're going to stand or all going to stand before the God of love and potentially not have any of the one thing that he says is the fulfillment of everything he's ever said in the law and the prophets. To, to stand before, to have time, to have time here and place, to have your heart changed so that love is reigning and living and reigning in, in us. And to use time every day for something else, to get ready for something else besides to plan ahead, to think ahead, to prepare for everything else that's natural, that's outward, that's passing, and to not concern ourselves and to think about preparing for the the one thing that we actually have time and place for, to stand before the God of creation who is love and who wants to share his nature of love with us and fill us with his love. And to stand before him with our hands empty and say, yeah, you know what? I got ready for the 401k and I got ready for the marathon and I got ready for the class and I got ready for the test and I got ready for this and that, but I forgot to get ready for standing before you having anything in me that looks like you. And so I, I and, and, and I know, I, I feel like when I start talking like this, I, I, um, I feel like people say, why does, why do you always have to be like so heavy about like, why do you always have to talk about heavy things and about how we, how we can so easily waste our time or deceive ourselves? And the answer to that question, if I'm honest with all of you guys, the answer to that question is because every time light shines in my heart in a real way, I see my own, I see, I see something of Christ and his truth, but I also, in that light, I see also something of my own deception. And I see something of, of, of other people's deceptions too. And how easy, how easy and how common it is to forget, to walk away, to let our hearts go astray, to deceive ourselves. It's, that's just that's part of what I think seeing in the light does in the heart. It's not that I just am trying to every time come up with another thing to say about being heavy or being intense or talking about how we like to deceive ourselves. I like, like it's my favorite favorite subject. I, I it's not, I, but it is what I see when the light shines in my heart. It is what I see. I see that it's easier to to it's easy to think you're in a better condition than you really are. It's really easy. And, and as I read the Bible, it seems to me like almost every place you pick up the Bible and start reading, there God is there 
trying to convince people that think they're in a good place that they need to be really careful because they can very possibly, very easily not be in as good a place as they think they are. If you look at, um, I mean, pick pick any place in the Bible. Let's go to the Exodus. The people that are coming out of Egypt, they think they're in a good place. The sons of Korah think that they can burn incense just like Aaron the high priest. God is with us, not just with you, Aaron and Moses, and the ground... Um, swallows them up, you know. Look at look at the the me- the main message of the prophets for hundreds of years throughout the time of the of the kings. the The prophets would appear, and they and the and the people would say, "We have the living God. We have the temple. We have peace with God." And the prophets would just say over and over again, "You think you have peace, but you don't." And then and then and then Jesus comes and. And he starts to talk with the religious people of his day. And what he, he doesn't congratulate them on being in the place that they think they are. He continually, over and over again, tries to manifest to them that they're not in as good of a place as they think they are. And in fact, says things that are so strong, like unless your righteousness exceeds these guys, whose entire life is built around what they think is righteousness, then you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then all the way at the end of the Bible, you you see churches that think that they're that they're rich and full and in need of nothing, but he says they're blind, poor, miserable, wretched, and naked. And and I guess I guess I'm just kind of saying that as a way of kind of starting this this morning because um, whenever whenever I see and feel truth, I see and find and feel how easy it is to deceive myself. And I deceive myself because I want, here's the reason why we deceive ourselves. It's because we want something else to be true. That's really what it comes down to. Your will, my will, makes me believe what I want. If I follow my own will. If I follow my will, I believe what I want to believe. It might, you know, your beliefs, they follow your will. I don't know if you've ever thought about it like that. You're, you, you'd think that your will would follow your beliefs, but it's just not that way. You think, oh, I believe this, and so I'm gonna, my will is going to go along with it. It's not that way at all. You, first you will something, and then your beliefs come along behind it and back it up and defend it and justify it. Your brain follows your heart. Your mind follows your will. The, the will of man is the leader. And, and if you want something, you will find a way to believe it. And if you want to believe something about yourself, you'll find a way to believe that too. And that's why the psalm says, the fool says in his heart that there is no God. He says it in his heart because that's, cause then his brain defends it and his brain follows right behind it, justifying, excusing, and making making reasons for it. But But it's his will, it's his... It's his heart that actually is the leader. I'm kind of off on a rabbit trail here, but that, that's also why the very first thing that it means to be a Christian is not, or, or the, the first thing that it means to grow, at least in Christ, is a surrender of the will. That's, 
that's where everything really begins to change in us. You can you can give God your time, you can give God your money, you can give God your body, you can give God your strength, you can give God your brain and your beliefs. But if you don't give him your will, if you don't give him your heart, then you haven't given him anything really that he can change or work with. And everything else that you do in your life is going to end up being a means to serve your own will. So anyway, that's just, I don't know, uh, that's a bit of a side note, but I, I say that because I, I think about that all the time. I think about it with relation to our group. It's not, I'm not just speaking to other people. I'm not just worried about people out there. I'm worried about my own heart. I'm worried about you guys. I'm worried about how easy it is for us to, <clears throat> to, to um, think we're in a better place than we really are, assume that we are. And anyway, going back to love. What is love? What, how, do you understand, how do you understand love? How should we understand love? I would say, not that I have any great ability to define it, oh, um, and I certainly have a, a long way to go in experiencing it and walking in it as well, but I think according to what I'm able to communicate with words today, I would say that love is the, to start with, you have to understand that love is the nature of God. It's not just something that God feels, it's not just one of his emotions it's actually part of what he is. God is love. It's, it's his nature. It's the way he is, the way he lives, the way he works. It's who he is. It's what he is. God, John says, God is love. And, and, and what, more specifically, when it says that God is love, I think you could say that that means, at least part, part of what that means, is that God's nature is to give goodness. One author that I read a lot uh, des describes or defines love as a will to all goodness. That's that's what God's love is. It is a it is a will. It's His will working continually to give goodness, every form of goodness. There's a million forms of goodness, but anything and everything that has any goodness to it is what God is trying to give. And the only goodness that, that exists is found in him. It's not found apart from him or separate from him. It's found in him. The highest goodness, the greatest goodness, the truest goodness is, is in God. It's God himself. It's the various realities and attributes and experiences of God. And therefore, the, the reason that God's nature is love is because God, God's nature is to give himself. It's to share himself. It's to pour out himself and put himself anywhere and everywhere he finds any place to put himself. Any place, anywhere that there's room to receive goodness, that's where God's love is trying to pour out himself and give himself. That's really important to, to understand. He's like, a, he's like a waterfall. I sometimes think of him like a waterfall. I think of, I think of him like Niagara Falls. That's God. He's constantly pouring forth a rushing, powerful flow of love, which can only be hindered and not experienced where it finds no room to enter. But anything that allows him to pour himself into it is, is going to receive his love. A rock 
doesn't receive much water from Niagara Falls. It just kind of bounces off when it's hard, when it's closed, when it's doesn't have no, no, there's no room in it to receive love. You could say it's, it's not experiencing the, the water. And when our hearts are like that too, uh, the love of God in a sense, you could say bounces off, not because it's not pouring constantly over the rock of our hearts, but because there's no, there's no room in us to receive what he's giving. But if you, if you ask me what love is, I would say it is God's nature. And I would say that it's like a waterfall or a river, a huge, powerful river that flows into everything created, particularly the the souls of men and women were created to receive God's goodness in a, in a way that's much greater than flowers and trees. They have a measure of that goodness reflected or manifested in them too. But the soul of man was, was created with almost an infinite capacity to receive and experience and express and enjoy God's nature and, and power to pour out himself and to share himself. And so God's, the, the nature of God's love is to give, okay? And it, what does he give? He gives himself. And, there, and that's a, it's like a current. It's like a, um, it goes in one direction. His desire is not to take something from you, but to give everything of himself to you. That's what he wants, he wants you to live in and abide in and experience and glorify and share with him everything that is good and true and right and righteous and wise and pure and beautiful that he is. That's, that's who God is. God is love. And if you look throughout scripture, at all the verses that talk about connecting love, God's love with God giving, there's, there's multitudes of them. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And that word so, I think you guys know this, but God in this way, in this way he loved the world. How did he love the world? He did it in a particular way. What was that way? He gave. He gave everything that he had to give. He gave his own, the express image of his likeness and nature and perfection and wisdom and power. He gave it. And uh, Romans 5, 5, um, our hope does not disappoint us because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the spirit that he has given to us. The, our hope, why doesn't our hope disappoint us, Paul? Because you're hoping in a waterfall that's pouring out his own spirit into you. That's what your hope is set in. It's a, it's a safe hope. It's not going to disappoint you. And when, when, this, when this nature works in man, or you could say when God lives in man, or when God, God's nature is, is found working in man, then man can love. In fact, then it's the easiest thing in the world for man to love. But apart from God's life and nature flowing in man like a like a river 
then it's not possible for man to love really because there's another river in man that flows in a very different direction that flows in an opposite direction it's see see the the nature of god's love is to give goodness and the nature of man's love what we naturally what we do with with love is or how it works in us, the nature of it is to take goodness. We take whatever we think is is good, and we take it for our own purposes. So, so it's completely contrary. They're two very, very contrary things. And though there are some, there are some shadows of God's love in in the natural creation, like for instance, like the love between a parent and a child. There is some, there's some goodness, I think reflected in that relationship. But I think we all also know that mixed into even the best forms of human love, there are traces or manifestations and sometimes large manifestations of selfish taking involved even in the, even in the best pictures of, of, of natural love. So again, when man loves something Speaking purely from a human fallen perspective, when man loves something, he desires goodness and he wants to take it for himself. When God loves something, he finds all goodness in himself and he wants to give of himself. He, and he does it for the good of the one he's giving to. Man takes and he does it for the good of self. God gives and he gives for the good of the of the recipient and that's why uh man's love is generally speaking a very it's a very superficial thing it's a very fragile thing it changes all the time it's something that uh, lasts only generally speaking only as long when i talk about love i mean what, what, what men usually call love, the, the stuff that people sing about usually and the movies are about and all that kind of stuff. It, it's usually a very, it's usually a, a, a mutual taking. It's when, if it's two people, then it's two people finding something in each other that they, they can take. And, and it's over just as soon as they can, one of them can stop, stop taking from the other one or find someone else that they can take more from or something that's more desirable. It, it's a very fragile thing. It's deceptive. It, the, the, the love of man or, or the desire that man feels. It, Paul talks about the deceptiveness of, of desire. He talks about man being swept away by deceitful desires. Well, what's deceitful about, about desires? What's, deceit, what's not deceitful about desires? They put, they put before your eyes something you want to take to yourself. And just as soon as you take it to yourself, it's not fulfilling it's not satisfying it's not what you thought it's not it's not all that you needed it's not it it keeps you in a place where your heart is wanting to continue to take i guess the the one the one thing i, I maybe don't want to stop without talking a, a few minutes about is how how do we how do we love or how does love work in man we know that God is love. I think we probably all understand that the only way that we can really love in a true sense is when God 
is living in us and when we're experiencing the the life of God, the will of God working in us. And so when you ask the question, how do you actually love? How do you begin to love? It's not just by reading about it. It's not by doing just a Bible study on the, on the verses about, about love. It's not by copying what we think are loving actions. There's, there's a reason... To, to learn to love, you have to understand that there's a reason why man can't love. There's a big obstacle in the way. There's a big hindrance to, to man's heart, in man's heart, that keeps him from loving. And the thing that's in man that cannot love is the fallen nature of flesh. And as long as man lives in the flesh, as, as long as man walks in the flesh then we're going to always find that that nature, that life, that first birth is not able to love with the love of God. That it's a nature that takes. It's a nature that looks, desires, seeks, and grabs and takes. It takes things for itself. And when it doesn't get them, it gets upset. It gets either afraid or insecure or it gets angry. It gets disappointed. It gets discouraged. It gets depressed. That, that nature that's in man that cannot love has to be lost. And even though it's, it sounds like you're talking about something like changing the subject, like how do I learn how to love? My answer is honestly, it's to lay down. It's to begin to lose the life in you that can't love. It's to lay down that life at the cross. It's to begin to, to submit that life or surrender that life to to death. It's the laying down of our lives. There's a verse that says, no one has greater life, love than this, to lay down your life. Well, that makes sense. Because it, unless you do lay down that life, unless you lose that life, you really cannot, you cannot experience love. And that's why the cross is the experience of the cross, not just a belief in the historical cross, but the experience of the daily cross is honestly, it is the way, it's the way that man experiences, begins to experience love. It's the only thing that actually removes the great obstacle, removes the thing in you, that huge hindrance in you that keeps you seeking your own gain, that, that keeps you living in a way that you're always taking. There's a thing that God, an instrument that God has prepared and given to man to take up and to carry that, that progressively removes the, the blockage in the stream of love. And that instrument is the cross. We're never going to really love God in the way that we're supposed to un, until the nature that cannot love God and only would ever love God for personal, private benefit is laid down. To say it in a few words, how do you, how do you love? I answer, lay down the life that can't love.